A word of warning. This episode contains mature language depicting instances of sexual, physical, and or emotional abuse of children. Marta Caroli, Bella's wife, his lifetime companion, is a powerful partner in the Caroli gymnastics machine, but no one knows her. She was never very prominent, never said anything. I don't remember her ever being in, in an interview. Finally, she gave in, offered us this exclusive insight. Thank you for joining us, Marta. Sure. You're the, you're the unknown person. You kind of hide. You don't like this very much, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> When the media would come in, she would always be in the office. It was Bella, 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 Bella. That's why everybody knew Bella, because Marta didn't want to be in the media. She was a hard person to read or get close to. I would watch her, and she would stand there all stoked and have her arms crossed. But she could talk to those kids with very little words, with her eyes, and with some compassion, but very stern. You can't get away from Marta's voice. It's a piercing voice that just echoes through whatever hall she's in. Oh, Bella! Oh, Bella, what you doing there? Marta is definitely one of the most intimidating people I've ever seen in my life. She is very intense. She was the decider of, of our fate. Well, people will know the name Marta Caroli, both a coach and the head coach of the 96 Olympic team. Now add the title of National Team Coordinator. This is Episode 6, The Rise of Marta. Marta, hello, and what's the one thing you want to do for the women's program in this job? Oh, our main goal to bring back the U.S. women's gymnastics where it belongs or the medal contender situation. Bella Caroli and the U.S. team had returned from the 2000 Olympics in Sydney empty-handed and frustrated. USA Gymnastics needed a new plan, but the goal remained the same, to win Olympic medals. And the Federation still believed that the discipline and reputation of the Carolis was the way to do it. So in January 2001, USAG announced Bella's replacement as national team coordinator, his wife, Marta. A key for the program is going to be unifying everybody, coaches and athletes. How do you do that? Absolutely, that's number one goal. Mentally, we want to prepare the girls to be able to put the team goal in front of individual goals and to understand that their contribution is great. USA Gymnastics had bought into this new semi-centralized system and had no intention of going back. Even though the other Caroli would be the national team coordinator, not much else would change. Camps would be mandatory, and they would be held at the ranch. It's extremely important because all the strong nations, like Russians, Romanians, Chinese, permanently train together in centralized training centers, year-long. And that's a major advantage. We needed somehow to make an approach which is more team-oriented. Coaches welcomed the change to Marta, like Tasha Schweikert's coach, Cassie Rice. After Bella, we were quite relieved, which sounds strange, but uh, she had more logical plans in place. She had more communication. Too tough and too strict and too negative and too, like I would call it, brutally honest. 
but uh, better than Bella. Bella was um, very scary to talk to. I was fearful that I wasn't going to say the right thing, that I wasn't good enough. Tasha was one of the few gymnasts who had experienced Bella as national team coordinator and would now train under Marta's regime. Like, I still couldn't be honest with her, but I wasn't scared when I talked to her. For Marta and the executives at USA Gymnastics, it was important to make it clear that she was now in charge. Enter Marta Caroli. No longer would the U.S. team train the way they had. They would be stronger. They would be deeper. They would be her team the way she always wanted it. Because they wanted to make it very clear that, like, Bella was out and Marta was in. Bella tended to his property and his animals and faded from the gymnast's view. There were a few times initially when he, when he tried to come in and she was like, nope, you got to go. Marta was quick to claim control, and she was clear about who was and wasn't welcome. Since the mid-1980s, a sign had hung at the entrance to the gym declaring no visitors or parents allowed inside. Marta extended that rule to anyone who would bring outside influence into the program. The national team training staff, which was led by Marta, did not want to have the nutritionist and the sports psychologist at the training camps and a part of the program. Nancy Thies Marshall had been running a wellness program for USA Gymnastics since the early 90s. Under Marta, Nancy and that program were out. The only person associated with the wellness program Marta agreed to keep was Larry Nasser. Larry had worked with the national team since the 80s. He'd been named national medical coordinator right before the 1996 Olympics. Under Marta, Larry continued to serve as the team doctor. She trusted Nasser. It was the type of doctor that she liked. Marta needed a gymnast to compete no matter what. So Larry, he kept his mouth shut because he knew that Marta really not like it, you know. Geza Pozar had been the Caroli's go-to choreographer for three decades. Marta was, you know, that uh, the sweetest thing in the world is uh, vengeance, you know. In all his years working with the Caroli's, Geza had always felt Marta was more vindictive than Bella, more rigid about her ideas. Shortly after she took over, he quit. Marta actually enjoyed power more than Bella. Mandatory monthly training camps at the ranch not only continued under Marta, they intensified. In the mind of the gymnast, it's very clear when they come here, they come for one single reason, to focus on their training. Every day, Marta's camps began with a military-style lineup and intense conditioning, and finished after hours of repetitions. Marta and the national team staff scrutinized the gymnast's every move. Each workout had the pressure of a full-on competition. We expect them to uh, always do the personal best. Every try, every try counts. But in 2000, Bella had been whittling a field of gymnasts down to those who he believed could take the pressure of the Olympic stage. Now, Marta was building. She increased the pressure and the competition between the gymnasts to keep them hungry. She'd seen it work for decades. She knew they would push each other, try to outperform one another, try to earn her favor, and that in doing so, they would all improve. Marta's goal was to build as deep a bench as she possibly could. 
that's the one thing about the Crowley system is is that there's so many numbers that you can treat these kids as disposable because there's always somebody else there. Scott Reed is an investigative journalist for the Orange County Register. The 2003 World Championships were held in his backyard in Anaheim, California. When he covered the practice sessions leading up to the meet, he saw the U.S. team training intensely. Behind the scenes, there was a lot of coaches complaining about, Marta, why are you training so hard so close to this meet? While most teams rested their athletes right before a big international meet, Marta didn't believe in leaving room for rest and recovery. Right up until the day of competition, she trained her gymnasts to their limits and beyond. Every day was prove yourself and prove yourself to me again today. Okay, next workout. Prove yourself again to me today. And it was hard landing, hard landing, hard landing, hard landing. And that breaks kids. Cassie Rice and her gymnast, Tasha Schweikert, had to keep going because even as team captain, they knew Tasha was replaceable. Tasha didn't break at that time, but she could barely walk. Her quads were so sore because it was too much hard landing impact. And, you know, we were trying to get massages and trying to get her to be able to walk. She couldn't tumble. You know, there was just so many things going on with her uh, legs and being able to be at her best. We just had to keep going. And just the indifference of Marta to it. It was like, eh, you know, we'll just plug somebody else in. And that, to me, was, wow, these kids are just cattle. These are the World Championships of Gymnastics, and today we'll answer the question, which country has the best team? When Anaheim hosted the 2003 World Championships, you really saw the whole Crowley system up, up close. Marta arrived at the World Championships with eight athletes. Before the competition even started, three had to withdraw. We get to the World Championships, and it's like our team is cursed. Carly Patterson was one of the five remaining gymnasts on the U.S. team. One girl gets the flu, can't compete, and is totally out. Another girl tears her ACL. Another girl tears her Achilles. By competition day, we were left standing with five competitors. Tasha Schweikert was nursing an ankle injury. Are we going to get disqualified because we don't have six competitors? Are we even allowed to compete with five people? You know, Al, I spoke with Marta Caroli, USA team coordinator, in the tunnel moments before the team marched in, and I asked her how they were dealing with this most recent setback. Her response, I can't believe all that's happened. We're still a team, though. We still think that we can win. This is where a team of elite athletes who have all been subjected to the highest level of pressure and are ready to go at a moment's notice comes in handy. Marta called up the team's third alternate and flew her into Anaheim. Marta Caroli apparently gave quite a speech to this team. One of the things apparently that she said was, this is a world for the tough. In other words, saying if you want to be part of it, you've got to be tough. There was one gymnast in particular Marta expected that toughness from, 15-year-old Carly Patterson. You know, Marta was uh, definitely intimidating to me, but at the same time, we had a really good relationship. Marta saw potential in Carly, a gymnast she thought could help the team, but special enough to be her own star. I think she saw that I was consistent, I was a hard worker, um, and I was a good beam worker. She loved people that were good on beam. The thing that's so great about Carly on beam is how 
she lands. Marta Caroli says she has a lightness on the beam that the international judges, they just crave. As the competition pressed on, Carly and her teammates rose to the challenge. You'd have to say that's getting the job done. What a wonderful presentation. And Tasha hits another home run for the United States. 9.6. What that means for Team USA, they get through cleanly here. They go to the next rotation with a huge advantage. In the World Championships, the United States women have never, ever won the all-around gold medal. Right now, they are the leaders with one rotation to come. In setting her lineup, Marta had decided that Carly was the one tough enough to stand up to the pressure. Carly would be the final American gymnast to perform on the final rotation. Whoa, that's four, bam! And by hitting all four tumbling passes of her floor routine, Carly did just that. And so it is official. The women of the United States, right now, here as we are, are the best team in the world after losing half their team through injury and illness. Through all of the adversity that we had to face with basically having to come up with a whole new different team and then still be able to push through that and win, it's very special. Marta Caroli had walked her team into Anaheim with the attitude that they would win no matter the cost. And it worked. I was very excited about how it turned out, how we won with only five people. And then she got to take a lot of the credit. <laughs> Marta was the brains the whole time. And now you're seeing it. She's not messing around. There's a new sheriff in town. Bella kind of was in the periphery. You know, he was working the media and everything. But when the focus was on the floor, Marta was clearly in charge. So 2003 is really where it, it became Marta's. Program. And so now these young women will celebrate. There's Marta Caroli and Bella Caroli. Their vindication has to be clear because the direction of USA Gymnastics was to put faith in them. And now the gold medal to show for it. As Bella beamed with excitement, the TV cameras captured a glimpse of Marta, who looked calm, as if everything had gone precisely according to plan. And from that moment on, Marta's plan became simple. Keep winning. Well, it has been four long years. Marta Caroli at the helm, and from the beginning, they laid out a plan to get them to Athens. The expectations for Team USA could not be higher. Marta put the U.S. back on the medal stand at the 2004 Olympics. Team USA took silver. There it is! Marta just, like, grabbed my face and... <laughs> she was like, Carly Chica, oh my goodness. Carly Patterson has won the gold medal. Move over, Mary Lou! Carly Patterson won gold in the all-around for the first time since Mary Lou Retton in 1984. I remember Bella standing in the hallway after they won in, in Athens, and it was like, see, I told you so. This is validation. This works. It was like a victory tour, you know. We told you it was going to work, and this is just the start. Ladies and gentlemen, the 2005 World Gymnastics Championships. Each year, the U.S. became a more and more consistent force at the international level. An amazing turnaround in world gymnastics at the moment. What a finish! The American girls have just come out here and blown everybody away. The 2007 World Gymnastics Championships. This 
When you get a hug from Marta Caroli, it's good news. It's so hard to say in gymnastics, but right now it feels like it's an American dynasty. USA Gymnastics, the number one team in the world. As we headed to Beijing for the 2008 Olympic Games. Yes, she's an Olympic champion, I'm telling you. The Americans went 1-2, the gold to Nastia Lukin, and the silver to Sean Johnson. Wow, 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 great. And no one benefited from the success of Marta's teams more than USA Gymnastics and its new president, Steve Penny. When former president Bob Colarossi resigned in 2005, USA Gymnastics promoted its senior VP of marketing to replace him. When Steve Penny was a USA cycling executive in the 90s, Lance Armstrong gave him the nickname Dime because he was so good at selling the sport. And in gymnastics, strong results at the Olympics could mean millions of dollars. Steve Penny was hired to develop all that went into USA Gymnastics, including marketing and TV deals and all that. And he was great at it, absolutely brilliant at it. But longtime UCLA gymnastics coach Val Condos Field had concerns about Penny's single-minded focus. But he was blinded by the almighty dollar. He was so consumed with winning medals because medals translate to money that the, the athletes simply became a commodity and pawns to earn that money. The key to getting all those medals that Steve Penny and USA Gymnastics turned into dollars was the Corollis. And that's what troubled Valcondo's field. As the coach of a top college program that attracted former elite gymnasts, Val mentored several young women who had come up through Marta's system. She had seen the physical and emotional costs up close. You can trust Marta to train the best gymnasts in the world. You can't trust Marta to care about those gymnasts as human beings. Val worried that Steve never seemed to question Marta's methods or provide any oversight. I asked him, I said, why do we let Marta get away with being so abusive to our young girls? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he just said, because she wins, Val. Walker County 911, what's the location of the emergency? USA Gymnastics uh, National Team Training Center. It's the Crowley Ramp. What's the location of the emergency? We need an ambulance at Crowley Gymnastics Camp. We got a kid up at uh, Crowley Camp. You know they do the uh, Olympic training? Off of the bar, she peeled off. She landed down on her toes, planted her hands, and her elbows dislocated through the back. We have her splinted. Hello? I'm sorry. I'm the threat of injury to any gymnast training at the ranch was very real. But national team athletes were performing skills at such a high level that the smallest mistake or the slightest fatigue or existing pain could lead to a devastating injury. 
the reality of what these amazing women do. Just the acrobatics of it, the height, the power, the, the force. Journalist Scott Reed investigated the physical toll of elite gymnastics on young athletes. You can hear the impact, and there's just this powerful kind of thud. And you're looking at this kid and you're thinking, what's that doing to her, her hips, her back, her knees? It reminded Scott of covering the NFL, standing on the sidelines and hearing the bone-crushing impact of big tackles. It's the same gut punch to you, like, wow. I mean, that's, that's something. And it had similar consequences. Scott found that national team gymnasts had surgery at the same rate as those NFL players. He presented his data to USA Gymnastics and Marta Caroli. So Marta says, when we saw there was an injury, we got the gymnast to the right person right away. Well, that right person was Larry Nasser. Marta trusted national team doctor Larry Nasser. He never raised any red flags, and he cleared the gymnast she needed to compete. Larry warned me to just be really, really, really careful about how you word things around her and injuries and saying that a, a, a gymnast can't go or, you know, anything like that. Melanie Seaman worked alongside Larry Nasser as a team athletic trainer. She was quickly introduced to a culture that placed the program's needs ahead of the athlete's health and well-being. This was said by a, a USAG staff member, and I was sitting right in front of her when she said it. And I quote, Once these girls become national team members, they are property of USA Gymnastics, and we will do with them as we please. I walked into a championship one day to a little gymnast who had broken her foot. And they were all in there, the coaches and, and the USAG staff and MARTA, and they were all talking about, well, what should we do? Should she go? Should she not go? And like, why do you ask her? Never once did they ask her. <laughs> but she went. They taped her up and she went. I was selected as an alternate to compete in the 2008 Olympics. And then I was doing a dismount on beam, and I felt like just like, the sharpest, quickest pain. And I like couldn't really walk at all after that. And then I got home and, and got an x-ray and the, the break was just like a straight line just across my shin, just like a complete clean break. Maddie Larson had to give up her dream of making the 2008 Olympic team because of that broken leg. After she recovered, she returned to the ranch hoping she could make the 2012 team. But one day during training, Maddie misjudged a landing during her floor routine. And I was trying to do a certain tumbling pass where you have to twist and then bounce into a flip. And from my twist and then bounce into the flip, my feet were kind of like sickled. I kind of like lost where I was in the air. So in the bounce, they just went and like bounce into the flip and I just felt them like crack and it kind of crumbled under me. Maddie was driven to the nearest hospital. It was a long, painful drive. The drive is like two hours. First, along a narrow, bumpy dirt road that eventually led to the highway. I just remember in the car, I was in the, the back seat, and my feet just swelled up so quickly and it hurt so much, I just knew it was not going to be good. Maddie was x-rayed, and then she returned to the ranch for the final two days of camp. The pain in her ankles was so severe she couldn't put any weight on either foot, so she couldn't stand on her own. She couldn't walk. 
but no one even offered her a wheelchair. And I still had to show up to practice every day. So I was literally crawling on my hands and knees. I wasn't even allowed to just like sit and like watch. Like I still had to do something. So I'd be like sitting with just like broken feet, flopping around, like doing like arm curls. I never saw my x-rays. I don't know if my coaches saw my x-rays. The only person that did was Larry. Larry Nasser had told Maddie her ankles were sprained. When Maddie got home, her family doctor took a second set of x-rays and told her that her right ankle was clearly broken. The isolation of the ranch made it difficult for parents to get information when their daughters were injured. There was little to no cell phone service, and there was still just that one payphone on the property. I would never hear from Jordan unless she called me. Rita Weber's daughter, Jordan, was one of Marta's top juniors. Jordan made a point to call her mom every night after practice to check in. And one night, I didn't hear from her. And so I had to go to bed that night not hearing from Jordan. I was so upset, I don't even think I slept. Rita finally got word the next day. Jordan sprained her ankle at practice and had been taken to the nearest emergency room. She was not 18. She was, like, 11. Rita works as a nurse in the ER. She knows that minors shouldn't be treated without their parents' knowledge and consent. So it was really upsetting to me that she was medically treated without even me knowing, that she was taken to an emergency department without me knowing, um, never got a call or update. Jordan Weber had made the national team when she was just 11 years old. You're just sending your kid off with their coach for five or six days, and you really are just trusting that someone's caring for them and has their best interest at heart. Rita had read Joan Ryan's book, Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, with its detailed accounts of eating disorders and injuries. She'd actually read it twice, when Jordan was a preschooler taking her first gymnastics classes, and again when Jordan started training at the ranch. Oh, this is that this is that ranch that they talked about in that book. And I went back and read the book again. And once again, was a little bit horrified by some of the stories, but decided that it was a long time ago. Surely they have changed things. Well, nobody would be allowed to coach that way anymore. Rita was only allowed to go to the ranch once, on Jordan's first visit. I just remember thinking that Jordan must be pretty good if she's getting picked to go there and just be happy that she's getting this opportunity because not everybody does. It was easy just to take all those horror stories and the things that made me scared or concerned and just put them away because you just kind of focus on the exciting moment that you're in. You don't ever question it. You just do it because you're lucky and it's, it's what you need to do if you're going to get to the Olympics, which is everybody's goal. That was the culture that surrounded the entire ranch. The goal was success and medals, and everyone was going to do whatever Marta said to get there especially gymnasts like Maddie Larson and Jordan Weber. I wanted Marta's attention because I so badly wanted to reach my goals in gymnastics. I wanted to make the Olympic team, and there were steps you had to take in order to get to the Olympics. You had to catch her attention to get it assigned to international meets, and you had to hit at those international meets in order to keep going because I've seen so many people get an assignment and then screw up and then never get another chance. Marta was like the boss, but she didn't do that much coaching, just kind of 
overseeing, which was kind of even, like, scarier to me, just, like, this, like, silent person, just always looking around, making sure everything was in order. Every time her eyes were on you, you knew that you, you had to hit whatever you were doing. She was the decider of our fate. Marta Caroli held all the cards, but she was someone gymnasts and their parents feared. She wasn't someone they could cozy up to or befriend, let alone get a real sense of how they were doing. And so they'd turn to the one person Marta did seem close with, the team doctor, Larry Nasser. He always would come across as though he had some secret information from Marta, and he was telling me. Like, he was Marta's confidant, and he knew all the secret plans that Marta had for every athlete. I mean, he was the one that was going to keep you healthy so that Marta would pay attention to you and you would get your chance. An unreal segue to the new it girl, Jordan Weber, world champion, national champion. Jordan Weber was a gold medal favorite heading into the 2012 London Olympics. She's a powerful athlete. She's a smart athlete. I know her, and I guarantee she's going to have a great competition coming up. What a lot of people see is sort of the persona on the competition floor, when in our heads there's a lot more going on. During a pre-Olympic training camp at the ranch, Jordan's shin began to hurt. Once the team arrived in London, the pain progressed. I couldn't do all the full assignments or tumbling that I needed to do. And then it got to the point where I knew it was something a lot worse because I I couldn't even walk when I got up in the morning. Jordan went to the team doctor for an answer, but she got nothing. Larry didn't order any scans, and he didn't tell her what he suspected. Instead, he told her teammate, Allie Raisman. Our doctor told Allie that it was a stress fracture, and he was purposely not telling me so I wouldn't think about it and I wouldn't get in my head. Jordan was too important to the U.S. team. Marta needed her top athlete believing that she was in top shape. Here in London, women's gymnastics gets underway tomorrow. The Americans attempting to win their first team gold since the Magnificent Seven back in 1996. The great coach, Bella Caroli, joining me now. Why haven't we won a gold medal since 1996? Well, it's hard. It's hard on a team competition. The team competition shows the power of the nation and the gymnastic nation. And we really haven't had a a form system yet at that time introduced. Now it's different. We do have a system. And this system creating a solid and sturdy, not just individuals, but great teams. So that's the big difference. The Caroli system created so much depth that the U.S. could have fielded three Olympic-caliber teams in 2012. They came to London as the reigning world champions and heavy favorites. We welcome you inside the North Greenwich Arena, just east of central London. It is the opening day for women's gymnastics. This debut is called the qualification. There will be no medals awarded, but all the medal battles to come will be decided as far as who competes in them here in this competition. Jordan had two national titles, a world title. And in London, she was after Olympic gold. But on the first day of competition, There were moments when that stress fracture she wasn't supposed to know about cost her a few tenths of a point here and there. Oh, wow. Little back on her heels on that. Very solid for Jordan. Could be a little bit better, but certainly still going to get a very big score. Jordan was excellent, but not dominant, which left her vulnerable because only two athletes per country could qualify for the individual all-around. 
And her teammates, Allie Raisman and Gabby Douglas, were also in the hunt. All eyes on the scoreboard. Yeah, it's got to be so awkward, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's extremely awkward. You yeah. know, they are friends, but they are they are very fierce competitors as well. 24 gymnasts would move on to the all-around final, but a maximum of two from each country. Team USA had taken the number two, three, and four spots in qualifying. And Raisman is in. She is in. And Jordan Weber is out of the all-around. Jordan was the fourth best gymnast in the world that day, but the third best in the U.S. behind Gabby and Allie. She wouldn't get to compete for the all-around title. Looking up and seeing my name in fourth place, which is really, like, you know, fourth place in the entire world. I remember looking up and just thinking, no, can they just change that? Can they just let me compete? You know, I so desperately wanted them to just make an exception or something, but it just seemed unfair. You know, I don't believe she'll ever fully erase the pain of not qualifying to the Olympic all-around. I was in London covering these Olympics. When the scores came down and I realized what they meant, that the reigning world champion wouldn't even get a chance to compete in the all-around, I looked for Jordan. She was standing with her head in her hands, sobbing. I expected to see her personal coach, John Geddert, rush to her side and comfort her. But he wasn't there. Instead, he was walking off the floor. And in that moment of vulnerability, Marta approached Jordan. I remember her actually being really comforting about it and just, you know, I don't know, like caring almost, which was weird. Marta understood the depth of Jordan's disappointment and reacted with compassion. She needed Jordan to come back stronger than ever in the team final. The next day at practice, it was, okay, next job. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people worried that I wasn't going to be able to turn it around, um, probably including her. I think she was watching just to see how I was going to respond. Like, can she come back? Can she, you know, turn it around? Can she get over, you know, the devastation? And, but I think gymnastics prepared me to be able to do that. Well, here we go. Into the women's team final at the London Games. The Jordan pushed through the pain of her injury and stood up to the pressure of the moment, just like she had been trained to do. Get the gold medal, Jordan! Marta Paroli, the national team coordinator. She has fallen short at the last two Olympic Games, not so here in London. The U.S. had won team gold for the first time in 16 years. Gabby Douglas became the first African-American all-around champion in Olympic history. And the U.S. won both team and individual all-around gold for the first time ever. Marta and Bella could have asked for no greater vindication than that. What about this dynamic duo? How much, how much longer? Another Olympic Games? I just uh, love uh, my job. This is my passion and this is my life. And uh, I feel like uh, definitely I would like to stay for a while. And I would love to contribute to the success of U.S. gymnastics.
If you or someone you know has been subjected to sexual assault or abuse and you would like more information or support, these hotlines can help. Rain's 24-7 Confidential National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-4673, or Child Help, 1-800-422-4453. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Coming up on the next episode of Heavy Metals. Olympic gold medalist in the all-around, Simone Biles. Nothing was ever good enough for Marta. He had to come as close to perfection as possible. And I think that's what made us so good. Get the gold medals ready again. I'm 100% happy with my career. I could not wish for anything more. Allegations that strike at the heart of a very successful U.S. Olympic sport and the most famous tandem of gymnastics coaches in the world. You want all the power, but none of the responsibility. The gymnasts were not under my control at all. Like, no, 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 I had nothing to do with it. But it's like, yes, you did. You were there. You were there. Marta took us to the top of Mount Olympus, but when you look down, you see a lot of carnage. And you're going to be looking at that carnage for decades. Heavy Metals was reported by me, Alyssa Ronick, and Bonnie Ford. Producers Andrew Mambo and Meredith Hodnott. Senior producer Julia Lowry Henderson. Executive producers Libby Geist and Aaron Leiden. Mix engineering and sound design by Mitra Kaboli. Production management and licensing Luis Argianis, Kath Sankey, and Jennifer Thorpe. Production assistants Riley Bloom, Gus Navarro, Samantha Dowd, and Trevor Gill. Original music by Ian Koss. Executive producers for ESPN, Connor Schell, Rob King, and Allison Overholt. This podcast was developed by Jenna Anthony and Adam Newhouse, with help from Jody Avergan. Additional production support from Amy Van Dusen and Eve Wolf. Archival producer, Juliana Branham. John Mastro Berardino provided fact-checking. Terry Langford did legal research. ESPN Audio... Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannisini, and Ryan Graner. Special thanks to Jenna Janovey and Elaine Tang, Jolene Van Vute, and the production teams at ESPN LA and ESPN New York. This season of 30 for 30 podcasts was produced in association with ESPNW.